0: Let's open to Acts chapter 19 this morning. Acts chapter 19 and verses 1 through 13. If you're able, would you stand with me as we read God's word today? Heavenly Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would descend upon us, give us understanding. Open our eyes and our hearts to your word that we might see it. We might hear it, we might understand it, Lord, and therefore we might live it out in all that we do. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Chapter 19, verse 1. And it came about that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper country, came to Ephesus and found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, "'Into what then were you baptized?' And they said, "'Into John's baptism.'" And Paul said, "'John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus.'" And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. And there were all in about twelve men." And he entered the synagogue and continued speaking out boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. And when some were becoming hardened and disobedient, speaking evil of the way before the multitude, he withdrew from them and took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. And this took place for two years, so that all who lived in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks." And God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. But also some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place attempted to name over those who had the evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul preaches. This is God's word for us today. Please have a seat.. Now, we'll stop there and, and leave the sons of Skiva till next week. The sons of Skiva are are they're just a lot of fun uh, to study and to read about, and how they had such high hopes and got the stuffing beat out of them. Uh, but, but well, you'll see next week. All right baptism now we have dealt with baptism before and and who should be baptized and when they should be baptized and why we do it this way and what are the appropriate ways this is a little bit different and I tell you in 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 my life I've been um, uh, I don't know how to even to say it not not conflicted but um, not with a good understanding and grasp of this understand that I had grown up Presbyterian all my life when I became a believer at 15, uh, I, I still was within the Presbyterian church. I had lots of friends who were in full gospel church, a full gospel church. And I actually attended that off and on. And they were much more uh, inclined, interested in the things of the Holy Spirit. Now, for for me, I, this was a whole new world. And I didn't understand anything that they were talking about. And, and they did a lot of things that I didn't understand and they said a lot of things and I had quite a few number of my friends who were um, um, uh, speaking in tongues and doing all, all kinds of things that I'd never seen in the Presbyterian church because we are what? We're decent and in order, okay, in the Presbyterian church. Well, so, so that started my, my search for what was going on and it's still an ongoing process. Uh, but when there's a question about what the Lord does, we can't rely solely on our experience, okay? Oh, this is what the Lord has done. Well, if he has done that and you're convinced it's what the Lord does, then we ought to be able to find it in scripture and say this is the way the Lord acts. This is what he does in believers' life lives. So I've always been Uh, people have said, this is what I feel and this is what I think. And and to some degree, it is subjective because the Spirit works within each of us. uh, As we'll see, He's present in every believer's life, but He works in us to different degrees. So how we understand that and how we live that out has to be rooted in the things of Scripture. So with that kind of as an introduction, we come to this portion where we're dealing with not just the, the things that happened to these 12 disciples, but also it's kind of a test of what is true belief. Now, you remember we spent last week with Apollos, and he was a good Old Testament believer, and he had a knowledge up until the baptism of John, but he didn't have that knowledge of Christ until he had a little sit-down with Priscilla and Aquila, and they told him about Christ. And then he was full of the Spirit and went off and did great things. And in fact, there's the carryover here in the beginning of Chapter 19, and it came about that while Apollos was at Corinth, and we go back to verse 28 of chapter 18, it talks about his action there. For he powerfully, powerfully refuted the Jews in public, demonstrating by the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So he has had his come to Jesus moment, and his life is forever changed. And now Apollos is not just preaching the things of the coming of Jesus; he is preaching the things of jesus and he is filled with the holy spirit and he's he's doing he's going great guns okay great guns well now we come to paul at ephesus and god is still doing what we can call for lack of a better term kind of picking up some old testament loose ends how about that and what he is doing is he paul is comes across a group of people a group of Twelve, and he calls them disciples. Now, disciples, we cannot make an assumption that they are believers in Christ. We might call disciples uh, in our day, well, I'm a, I'm a disciple. That would mean I'm a follower of Christ. Well, they are not followers of Christ yet. They are what we call looker, lookers for Christ, okay? Because all they have is John the Baptist so far and his baptism. So in a sense, these are uh, uh, Old Testament believers and Old Testament saints looking for the coming of Christ, looking for the coming of Christ. Now remember that John the Baptist um, is kind of categorized as the last Old Testament prophet, okay, because he is still prior to Christ. His preaching it, uh, up until a certain point, is pointing to Christ, and yes, he baptizes him. So then he kind of makes that transition in the New Testament. But he is the voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the pass because the Messiah is coming. Remember, he says, he says, I'm not even fit to to tie sandals. The one who's coming after me, but I present to you that he is coming. He told people about the Messiah that he is coming, and these twelve have heard of that and have been baptized according to the baptism of John. Now they don't know anything about the Holy Spirit in his terms of being granted to believers after the ascension of Christ on the day of Pentecost. Okay? Now as a Christian is somebody who believes in both the life and the death and also the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's an important. If he is not risen from the grave, then we more than any people are to be pitied because we're a bunch of fools. But Christ has come out of the grave. So this is what believers hold to. And if they had been on, on that side of the cross, so to speak, they would have been baptized with the baptism of Christ and the Holy Spirit. But they're on the early side. They don't know about the coming of Christ. They don't know about his resurrection and the powerful power available to them Through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now they were ready; they just didn't know He had already come. So the point is that if they had not received the Holy Spirit, they must not have been baptized as believers in Christ. So what kind of baptism did they have? Well, as as we see, it couldn't be anything beyond um, the baptism of John. Look at verse two, and he said to them, "Did you receive the Holy Spirit?" When you believed. And they said to him, No, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. Uh, the, Greek kind of, the Greek literally says, We do not so much as hear whether the Holy Spirit was given. So there, the Holy Spirit, well, when's the Holy Spirit coming? Okay, now there's plenty of evidence in the Old Testament of the presence of the Holy Spirit and of the coming that is, is, is awaited. And certainly, throughout the preaching of John the Baptist, they would have heard of and known of the Holy Spirit and his eventual coming. But it's not so much that they hadn't, they didn't know about the Holy Spirit, as they didn't know that he had already arrived, that he had already arrived. They knew he was promised. It says, so verse 3, well, into what then were you baptized? And they said into John's baptism. It's not that they had wrong knowledge. They just simply had a little their knowledge wasn't completed, much like Apollos' knowledge of the things of Christ. It wasn't full yet. They hadn't been hadn't connected all the dots or been told of the coming of Christ. So if they have insufficient knowledge of the Holy Spirit, Paul naturally goes into some great Uh, doctrinal statement of the work of the Holy Spirit and and of all the things involved. Isn't that what we would naturally assume? That if they're deficient in the knowledge of the Holy Spirit, naturally you would teach them about the Holy Spirit. But what does Paul teach them? Look at verse 4. Okay, they don't know about the Holy Spirit, so Paul teaches them about Christ. Paul teaches them about Christ. Look, and Paul said, John baptized with a baptism of repentance telling the people to believe in him who was coming after him him that be jesus and when they heard this they were baptized how in the name of the lord jesus so paul teaches them about jesus he doesn't teach them about the holy spirit he doesn't go on and say well Uh, You know, the Holy Spirit has been given as a gift and if if you want to understand, he he does teach them this, if you want to understand the Holy Spirit, you first have to understand Jesus Christ. You have to understand him as your Lord and Savior because you will never get to the Holy Spirit until you have Christ. And once you have Christ, you will get the Holy Spirit because he comes into the life of every believer. Paul doesn't say, I'm going to give you the 10 principles of a deeper commitment so that you might find the Holy Spirit. He just gives them the gospel pointing out the, the preparatory and therefore the partial nature of the baptism that they had received in John the Baptist. He says, John was baptizing you to repent and get ready for the Messiah. He was telling that you, that you had to believe in the one who came after him. Once you know him, then you understand the Holy Spirit. Now, if somebody says to me, now ask me a question, Randy, do you believe that that uh, every believer gets the Holy Spirit? Well, I would say yes. So let's look at a couple scriptures. Turn to Romans chapter 8. A couple scriptures to demonstrate this for us. Romans chapter 8. Verses 9, 10, and 11. If if we had to pick one book out of the Bible, good Reformed believers pick Romans. If we had to pick one chapter out of the Bible, we might pick chapter 8. I mean, chapter 8 is such a fantastic chapter within Romans. This small portion of it tells us about the presence of the Spirit in the life of the believer. Chapter 8, verse 9. So let's go there. Now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. There are at least 11 places in Scripture, at least 11, that talk about the presence of the Spirit within the life of the believer. That when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes upon you and dwells within you. Okay, And dwells within you. So Romans chapter 8 First uh, Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. It says, or do you not know that your body, is a temple of the holy spirit in in general he's talking here about sin and connecting your body with things that are sinful and uh, let's go to verse 18 flee immorality every other sin that a man commits is outside the body but the immoral man sins against his own body or do you not know that your body is a temple of the holy spirit who is in you whom you have from god and that you are not your own You belong to the Lord, and as a sign of belonging to the Lord, he has given the Holy Spirit, and he dwells where? In you. And he comes from God. So the Lord, through the power of the Holy Spirit, in a sense lives within us. And and from the Old Testament, I'll just read this to you. It comes from Ezekiel. God says, a new heart also I will give you, and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will put my spirit within you. See, there are no conditions here for the reception of the spirit other than the belief in christ and in the old testament it talks about i will do this i will put this within you you belong to me and i will give you these things jesus says i will pray to the father and i will he will send you another and that other is the comforter the holy spirit the condition for receiving the holy spirit is that christ will pray he will go away he will pray he will send another and that's the comforter do you know why they lacked the Holy Spirit? Not because they had a failure to believe, not because they didn't do or jump through the right hoops, they just didn't know Christ yet. They did not know Jesus Christ. So let's go back to Acts 19. We'll look at verse 6 and following. So Paul teaches them about Jesus Christ. Paul asks the right questions about where they are spiritually. He didn't ask, did you realize that there was something more that you need to, to strive for to get the Holy Spirit? He didn't ask that question. He didn't ask, Do you not know that you were to seek a, a, an additional baptism? He doesn't ask that question. He says... He didn't say, well, let's go to the real place where real believers are so that you can strive and reach the the, the spiritual maturity that you need to be. He He didn't ask that. He says, we have to go back to the beginning. And the beginning is Jesus Christ. Let me preach the gospel to you so that you understand the fulfillment of all that you have believed so far. That the Spirit might dwell within you. So Paul tells them about the Messiah of who John the Baptist proclaimed and who had actually come. And in verse 6, here we have, verse 5, And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, bam, the Holy Spirit came on them. I added the bam. That's that's not in the Greek. And bam, the Holy Spirit came upon them. Now now you can understand that, that they had this this expectation of what faith was and and th- they were going along really well and all of a sudden Paul comes and says but there is so much more and that more is the fulfillment of all that you've hoped for in Christ and when he lays his hands upon them the spirit came and they began to speak in tongues and begin to prophesy now not as part of an additional baptism here but in order this is this is how um, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about this in, in just a moment, in order that they might understand the power that this was really, truly, uh, real, real, that it was real and true, that they had believed in the Messiah, in Jesus Christ. The Lord in his mercy gives these outward manifestations to these 12, these other languages, these prophesying, to confirm in them that now they have this this full salvation. They only had partial up to John the Baptist. Now they have real salvation in Jesus Christ. So how do we explain what happens after Paul tells them about Jesus and lays his hands upon them and they believe? Question for us today, is this normative for the church today? Is this the way it should be, that if you believe in Jesus Christ and someone comes and prays and and lays hands on you, that you should prophesy and speak in tongues? I mean, did I miss something when I was a believer and became a believer by not doing this? Am I somehow a second-class believer? Um, I remember when I, when I worked in Youth for Christ and we were opening up this new uh, high school, this new school district, and I was going through and I was making contact with with churches and pastors, and I walked into this one church and, and uh, I, I came upon an associate pastor, he was in the hall, and I introduced myself and I went through my spiel about uh, Youth for Christ and our desire to uh, take the gospel to teenagers and how we kind of, uh, the school allowed us to work through it, much like young life in, in here today. And I give him the whole spiel, about five minutes, and he listens patiently. And his first question is, are you spirit-filled? Now, I have to tell you, I was 24, 25, and I did not understand the theological ramifications of his question. I did not understand where he was coming from or even why he would ask me that question. So I told him what I naturally thought. I've been a Presbyterian all my life. He wasn't too impressed, I can tell you that, okay? Um, he was looking for something else. He was looking for an understanding of the Holy Spirit, that his, his teaching and the way he, he came to Christ and whatever, he was looking for some manifestations. He wanted to know if I was on his side when it came to the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the use of the gifts, and et cetera, et cetera. He wasn't impressed with my Presbyterianism. Now some would say that it appears that there's some kind of two-stage ministry going on here. They believe and then afterwards they speak in tongues and that they prophesy. Now we've seen some of this before, obviously at Pentecost, at the coming of the Holy Spirit. We see it with the Samaritans. But they believe, but they don't actually manifest these types of things until who? John and Peter, the apostles, go up there. And then they manifest these things. We've seen it in some other places. The household of Cornelius, when Peter preaches the gospel, we see action there. It seems to be that when the apostles are there, when the apostles come and and confirming signs are given as the gospel goes forward through the work of the apostles. Now remember, in Acts chapter 1, in fact, let's turn back to Acts chapter 1. What seems to be happening as the gospel goes forward, and as sometimes these signs are given as confirming signs to the, the power and the authority, <coughs> we have the fulfillment of Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. So the gospel is moving forward, and it is going out to places. Remember, the hub of the gospel was Jerusalem. That's where it basically started, and it went out. So here we have Jerusalem, then all Judea, and then Samaria. And you know those hated Samarians, boy, they they didn't like them at all. But the gospel went there, and there were confirming signs there, and then into all the world. So it appears that God knew they needed uh, what I can only say is a strong convincing that the Spirit had come. So God, in his wisdom, extended, in a sense, a miniature Pentecost to them as the gospel went out into new areas. So that they too would know that the Spirit had come. And what you see in, in specific junctions, as it were, in the spread of the gospel, there's almost a repetition of this. And, and and after the apostles are gone, we just don't see quite the same thing. And I'm and, and not really, we're not going to have time to go into the whole gifts area uh, today. Those that, that is beyond the, the scope of this, this single passage here as we deal with what happens to this group of believers and why these things came upon their lives. Why these things happened to them. And is it normative for us today? I don't, don't see it as normative for us today. Because the Spirit comes within each believer. When you hear the gospel, when your eyes are open to it, when you receive the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and as your Lord, the Holy Spirit comes and dwells within you. And your life is forever changed. Now we'll see in a moment a little bit more about this. Let's look at verse 8. So Paul continues on in his normal way of doing things you know it's this sudden change Uh, and and they speak in tongues and prophesy and there were 12 men and then there's a paul goes on to something else okay it's not as if he stands around and 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 does a lot of things he he just goes on to something else in his usual pattern he entered the synagogue continued to speak out boldly for three months reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of god this is the way paul normally acts he would deal with the old testament passages talk about their fulfillment in jesus christ but when some were becoming hardened and disobedient speaking evil of the way before the multitude what happens when you hear a repeated presentation of the gospel your heart either becomes tender to it or it becomes hardened to it now that does not mean the lord cannot break through that hardening that's a simple thing for the Lord but we've all seen people who have sat in in the pews for years and and you know physically they might be sitting like this they sit there and, and if your arms are crossed I'm sorry uh, they're sitting there like this and and they're saying well I'm here but but I'm not believing any of this stuff but they come every week or every second week or whatever some people can get very hardened to the things of the gospel Because it strikes them here, and and they don't want to examine their hearts. They don't want to look inside and see the sinfulness and know that there is forgiveness in one person, in Jesus Christ. Many of us heard the gospel for years, and and you may not be hardened, but maybe it's just an apathetic thing. Well, yeah, that's good for you. And we become apathetic to it. Well, what happens here, they become hardened, and it says disobedient. Now, the command is to believe when you're called to believe in the new testament it's always a command it's it's made in the uh whatever portion of speech that is in in the command to be to not believe is to be disobedient and paul was extending this command to believe upon the lord jesus christ and they would not so not only would they not believe as they went on the offensive speaking evil of the way and that's what christianity was called in in the first century is the way And he withdrew from them, took away the disciples, reasoning daily in the school of Tyrannus. Now there were other indications about the work of the Lord here that confirmed Paul's message of the gospel and that confirmed Paul's apostolic authority. Verse 11 and 12. Now this is a particular phrase here. And God was performing extraordinary miracles extraordinary miracles not just as if any miracle could be regular but extraordinary miracles now Paul did not regularly go through and do miracles he didn't regularly heal and regularly raise the dead and do all those things but every once in a while when it was according to the Lord purposeful and necessary uh, you remember he preaches that um, well it's 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 coming Uh, He preaches a very long sermon into the night and there's a a teenager sitting in the window and he goes to sleep. I don't know how that's possible, but he goes to sleep and he falls out, falls three stories down and is dead. Paul goes down gets him, brings him back to life, okay? He doesn't do that all the time, but just to confirm the things of the message that he is preaching here. Well, there are extraordinary miracles that go on by the hand of Paul here. Verse 12, so that handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from his body, as Paul would be a tent maker working in the leather and things, maybe a sweatband uh, uh, might be a good uh, example of, of something here, carried from his body and the diseases left them and the evil spirits went out. Now this is, this is an extraordinary thing. Paul didn't go. He didn't go and, and heal. He didn't go and, 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 and touch these bodies. They just took his sweaty stuff, you know, and took it over and touched their bodies with it. And they were healed because of it. Now, this is the confirming sign of the Lord. Paul, this isn't a show-off for Paul. This is simply what God is doing to say that my gospel is true. This is the real power in this world. Now, we don't find this anyplace else in the New Testament. This is like a one time event here in Ephesus that goes on. All right. So, when you become a believer, the Holy Spirit comes and He lives within you. You have access to the power available through the Spirit, and your life will demonstrate the fruit of the Spirit to whatever level you are willing to work on. It becomes a question of here, you are enabled to do this. What is your will? will you do this now there are times that you are given as a believer what looks to be like extraordinary strength extraordinary insights or compassion that come from the spirit maybe you walk away from an encounter with somebody that you've shared the gospel with and you go who said those things okay those words come out of my mouth Well, that's the work of the spirit I remember when i was I was in high school and I was on this trip and and uh, it was it was mostly with a group from New York, and they were all jewish and we 're in this train car in Russia one night and, and i 'm sharing the gospel with this group we 're all jammed in a little train you know a little uh, uh, uh train car uh, room there that that really was for four people, and there must have been ten of us in there and they were all just listening to everything and i said and I wondered afterwards. Well, who in the world were they listening to? Because I've never said things like that. That's the work of the Spirit. That's the work of the Spirit. You spend a week in the Dominican Republic on a mission trip. You get four hours of sleep at night. You eat food you're not used to. You go out in the hot sun and you work all day. You don't bathe regularly. Uh, Life is very different. But you are extremely patient. And you have all this energy. And you are doing things you never thought you could do. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. A pastor of no real skill or consequence stands up one day and he preaches the gospel. And suddenly people respond. And for two weeks or six months or five years, people continue to respond and he preaches the gospel. And you think, well, he doesn't sound any different, but people are responding. Why? It is the work of the Spirit. We see this again and again throughout history. Sometimes the Lord comes upon one person or one group of people for a period of time to bring revival to his church, that comes only from the Spirit. When Christ comes upon you, it is at that moment of conversion when you receive the fullness of the Spirit. This does not mean the Spirit may not come upon you for special works throughout your life. When you need something extraordinary, or when he calls you to something extraordinary, he will empower you to do it. He never calls you to something to do or to some place that he has not prepared you for or given you the strength to do so let's make it really simple has the holy spirit empowered you to be patient with that annoying person at work yeah he has has the holy spirit given you the power to share the gospel yes he has Has the Holy Spirit freed you from the chains of fear and sin and given you a spirit of power and not of timidity? Yes, he has. If you're a believer, he has. The question is, will we exercise our will in obedience to what he has given us? So let's pray. Lord, in your mercy and care, in your providence, you have filled us with the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we're, we're not looking for sweaty handkerchiefs that heal people. If you want to give us that, then, then you will. But Lord, we pray that our eyes would be open to the everyday power, power that is available to us to live out the things of Christ, to be patient, to be compassionate, to not be afraid to declare the things of the gospel, to trust you when you call us to go somewhere or to do something that will further the kingdom and help proclaim the gospel. You don't call us there and then leave us by ourselves. You have empowered us to go there, and you will protect and guide us. Lord, might we we never be afraid? For that is not the Spirit that you have given us. For the Holy Spirit is a Spirit of power not of fear, not of timidity. And it is to be used for your glory and for the furthering of the kingdom. Lord, we pray that we would be wise for these things, that our eyes would be open to how we might live these things out. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.